0: In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Before the first Star Wars movie, which came out in 1977, there was Star Trek, which first aired in 1966. But even before either of these, and this is definitely going to age me, There was Lost in Space, the story about the Robinson family, a family of four traveling through outer space in this rather antiquated spaceship with a rather odd-shaped robot. Now, whenever the robot sensed any kind of serious danger or impending doom, it would call out to young Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Some of you may recall that, most of you probably don't. Well, it doesn't take too much living life in this world to realize that life is dangerous. We live out our days on this earth with no guarantees of protection from such external dangers as environmental and natural disasters like hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, fires, and earthquakes, not to mention diseases such as COVID, the flu, RSV, cancer, or heart disease. And then there are also wars, tragedies, freak accidents, and of course what we see and hear and read about almost every day now, random unwarranted attacks from others. The complexity of living life in this world with all of its external dangers can certainly be rather overwhelming. But what about all of the internal dangers that we have to contend with as well? such as holding on to bitter or angry thoughts, hostile and judgmental attitudes toward others, or the temptations to live contrary to God's word, to live a life that we know to be morally and ethically correct. Those and so many others are the kinds of dangers that we face that come from within. Jesus said, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adultery, immorality, and theft. It seems to me that if we're going to be left on our own devices in an attempt to avoid as many of these outward and inward dangers as possible, we're going to be walking down a very frightening tightrope as we venture through life. A profoundly different outlook on life is reflected in today's collect for the fourth Sunday of Epiphany, which we'll read in just a few minutes, but here it is. O God, who knowest us to be set in the midst of so many great dangers, that by reason of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant to us such strength and protection as may support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations." Well, this prayer acknowledges the fact that God knows all of the internal and external dangers that we face on a daily basis because he knows us inside and out, and he carries us through them all, which is precisely what we discover when we hear in that first chapter of mark's gospel about a man whom jesus encountered in the synagogue at capernaum a man who was possessed by an unclean spirit the new testament term that mark uses interchangeably with this term unclean spirit is the term demon demon not long after his baptism and temptation in the wilderness We find Jesus who is now accompanied by a small group of fishermen, his newly recruited disciples in the seaside town of Capernaum, a well-known fishing community located on the upper Northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. As soon as the Sabbath had arrived, Jesus went into the synagogue and took the opportunity to teach all the people who were gathered there that day. When he'd finished speaking, All of the people concluded he taught them as one who had authority, authority. The words that he spoke had amazed them, that they began to ask one another, what is this, a new teaching? But the text makes it perfectly clear that their amazement was not just limited to the uniqueness of his teaching, but also to the tone and to the authority with which he spoke. His teaching and presence absolutely astonished them. The literal translation of that word astonished is to strike panic or shock. The great uh, New Testament scholar, William Barclay, renders it this way. They were thunderstruck. And why was that? It's because his manner of teaching was so very different than anything they'd ever experienced before. What they become accustomed to were hearing the traditional interpretations of the Hebrew Scriptures from the scribes and the Pharisees, who loved to teach by quoting the great Jewish teachers and authorities of that day. For example, Rabbi Hillel says, but on the other hand, Gamaliel says, and then, of course, there's Rabbi Eliezer, who writes the following. It was second-hand authority in that most everything they spoke was contained between quotation marks. Very little, if any of it, conveyed how the scriptures had actually impacted their own lives. Their whole rhetorical style was absolutely boring their listeners to tears. And it had no spontaneity no enthusiasm no joy and no practical application whatsoever it was boring however when Jesus spoke it was the exact opposite there were very few quotation marks unless of course he was quoting scripture which he did often his style was you have heard that it was said but I say unto you his preaching was not only about God's Word. It was God's Word, spoken by the Word, the Logos himself, which made everything very personal and it all began to make sense to them. He made the Scriptures come alive. When Jesus preached and taught the Word of God, his language and the imagery that he employed was clear, simple, understandable, and often painfully direct, in its application as well to the lives of the hoi polloi, the common folk of his day. We see this over and over again throughout the Gospels, and especially in the stories that Jesus told, the parables, earthly stories, normal, everyday life stories, life scenarios, that had some kind of a heavenly or spiritual meaning. So the people were absolutely mesmerized by Jesus' teaching. Well, the tension and the excitement which Jesus had created that day in the synagogue was made even more palpable by the sudden and unexpected appearance of a man with an unclean spirit. Mark makes it perfectly clear that this poor man had had somehow been invaded by an external force over which he had no control whatsoever. He was, in fact, possessed possessed by a demon, and actually, as we'll soon see, by more than one demon, by several demons. And clearly, he was not himself. We don't know how or why this man came under the control of these evil spirits, but what we do know is that this man's whole personality, his whole persona, had been altered by the demonic spirits that were inside of him usurping the very core of his being and actually speaking through his voice. They spoke through this man. So fully was he under the control of this evil that he renounced Jesus. Bellowing out, he said, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God which begs us asking the question what or who is an unclean spirit what is a demon demon possession arises where there's some form of involvement with some cosmic force of evil st. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 6 where he writes for we are not contending against flesh and blood but against the principalities and against the powers and against the world rulers of this present darkness. It applies to today as well, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's talking about Satan, of course, and about his fallen angels, which are all around us. Jesus didn't cast all of them out that day or throughout his ministry. In Jesus' day, people who suffered from what we know through modern medicine as mental illness were considered to be possessed by some form or another of a malevolent spirit. Certain kinds of mental aberrations like manic depressive behavior, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, result in varying degrees of abnormal, bizarre, and often unpredictable actions and behavior. I witnessed it almost every day for the 17 plus years that I worked at the Star Gospel Mission. Isn't it interesting, though, that when we witness this or when we hear about it, about such behavior, we often use this expression. Whatever possessed him or her to do that. (laughs) Whatever possessed them to do that. In fact, in many previous centuries, people regarded all illnesses to be the result of some form or another of demonic possession. Oh, we can try to deny that God's adversary, the devil, or his army of fallen angels does not exist. But St. Peter reminds us that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm, steadfast in your faith. So to simply judge the meeting of this poor, demon-possessed man with Jesus as a quaint Bible story, which really doesn't need to be given much serious Thought or consideration is to fly in the face of the reality that we, 21st century men and women, experience. Where there's actually been a significant renewed interest in the occult, in demons, and related subjects like exorcisms, the walking dead I've never been able to figure that one out, can you? Zombies, and even ghosts. We have tours all throughout this city and most of the major cities in the country. Ghost tours everywhere, which Hollywood and television, of course, have certainly glamorized. Well, when the demon-possessed man shouted, and the Greek actually says shrieked, when he shrieked, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? What did Jesus do? He immediately commanded the demons to be silent and come out of him." The unclean spirits then make one last ditch effort to show their power by convulsing the man and crying out with this loud voice. And then they abruptly left him. They also left all those in the synagogue who'd witnessed this spectacle with a sense of astonishment and absolutely boggled their minds, prompting them to ask about the uniqueness of Jesus' teaching and about the incredible authority which he commanded. What is this, they ask. With authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was able to quickly silence these demons who every time he encountered them, identified him as the one who was sent from God. Oh, they knew full well. They knew exactly who he was. When you look at the whole of Mark's gospel, it becomes perfectly clear that Jesus did not want to be known, however, as simply Mr. Fix-It. He did not want people to find room inside their hearts for him simply because he was this great miracle worker because he could be called upon at any given time to place bandages on the wounds of people's lives healing the sick cleansing the lepers restoring sight to the blind hearing to the deaf speech to the dumb making the lame walk and yes even raising the dead to life you see The image Jesus proclaimed was that everyone, everyone had the freedom to choose to either enter into a relationship with God through him alone. Remember, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. They could either enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ or they could choose not to. Jesus did not come proclaiming that he was going to remove all of the cares, the worries, the troubles, the sicknesses, the tragedies, and random dangers that occur all around us all the time. No, no, rather, he came to accomplish an even greater purpose than this. He came to pay for and eradicate the sin debt that all of us were shackled with and just how did he do that? He did it by taking our sins, all of our sins, all of our wickedness as we confessed a minute ago, all of our miserable wretchedness upon himself, into himself and then being nailed to a cross where he shed his blood as a sacrifice to pay for the price, to pay the price for which we could not pay ourselves. And he washed us clean from all of our sins and have our relationship with God as a result completely restored, put back together. A relationship that had been fractured and severed because of our sins. In a word, he came to offer us the gift of grace. Grace, always a gift, a free and yet costly gift. It's God's gift of kindness, mercy, love, and most important of all, forgiveness to each and every one of us. And it's undeserved. It's unearned. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. There's nothing you can do to gain it yourself. It is pure gift from God. To all of us who live lives that are cluttered by all kinds of cares and worries every day, and who may even wonder sometimes whether or not life is worth living, Jesus proclaims resoundingly that it is. It is because God is love. And his love is the very foundation upon which our lives need to be anchored, anchored if they are to stand strong against all of the dangers that come at us from both without and from within. Jesus came to tell you and me that the love of God is a love which cuts through the darkness in our lives and through all of the the uncertainties, pushing back all of our fears, emboldening our steps, and making every day of our life a pilgrimage through life. It is that. It is a pilgrimage worth living. Whenever I think about this passage from Mark and about the demon-possessed man, A man's smiling face appears before me. His name is John. He's a tough guy, but a small guy, only about 5'4". And at one time, he lived at the Star Gospel Mission where I served. John had some very serious anger issues that caused him to start a fight at the drop of a hat with even the biggest, toughest bullies and ex-cons at the mission on the streets and at the construction sites where he worked, often leaving him beat up and badly injured and costing him the loss of one job after another. He just could not hold on to a job. John told me that his, his past had been riddled with angry uncontrollable outbursts, and a hair-trigger temper that caused him to want to pick a fight with most anyone. As a result, it had alienated him from most everyone, including his own family. People avoided him like the plague because they never knew when he was going to fly off the handle and hit someone. One day, John came to me and he said, Pastor Christian, I think there's a demon living inside of me, and I just don't know what to do to get rid of it. Well, for the next two weeks, I asked John to come and pray with me every day after work. Then I told him that whenever he felt that demon raising its ugly head, he should say these words, whoever and whatever you are, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to leave, depart from me, and never, ever return. Well, two weeks passed. We prayed every day, then three, then four weeks, and then late one Thursday afternoon, I'll never forget it. John came back from work and he said, Pastor, something incredible has happened to me today. This big guy that I work with who's been taunting me for the past several weeks now, just daring me to take him out, take a swing, punch his lights out. And I was about to do just that when I repeated what you had told me to say in your office. And somehow, somehow, instead of hitting the guy, I just smiled at him and walked away. And then John said, in that very moment, I just knew that that old demon had up and left me had up and left me well John exemplifies what Jesus once said that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and what John the Apostle said in his first epistle greater is he that is in you than he that is out there in the world. This morning, I'm going to ask each one of you to pose this question to Jesus. In your mind and in your heart, I want you to pose him a question. What have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Let's make it personal. What have you to do with me? Jesus of Nazareth. My friend John experienced a true miracle in his life when that demon of anger just up and left him. I wonder, is there anything in your life, anything at all, that in the name of Jesus, you need to command to leave you, to be cast out of you? No, not necessarily a demon per se but some area of darkness in your life something that you're holding on to something that's preventing you from living life fully most of us within the family of believers in this church can acknowledge the the desperation that exists because of the dis-ease dis-ease caused by the guilt and the shame of something in our past that continues to haunt us that we just can't seem to get rid of. Or of a relationship in your life that's been damaged or tarnished by some harsh, insensitive, or ill-spoken word. Or some biased, prejudicial attitude that you're still clinging to. Or some unresolved anger, grudge, or resentment that you're harboring towards someone else, maybe someone even in your own family, or your refusal to let go of the heartbreak and pain over a friend's or spouse's unfaithfulness toward you, or perhaps you're battling for control of some addiction that you just can't seem to overcome, no matter how hard you try. If so, then I believe that today Jesus is beckoning you and me, each one of us to confront whatever those demons are, whatever temptations, whatever maladies we might be struggling with and wrestling with, the dangers from both without and from within, and to command them in the strong name of Jesus to flee, to leave us, I wonder if like my friend John you're looking forward to having that kind of a miracle occur in your life well if you do then there's one miracle that can undergird and give more meaning to your life than anything else in the entire world it's the miracle of the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and His love for forgiven sinners. You heard right, forgiven sinners. That's what we are. His love and His forgiveness have the ultimate power to remove whatever it is that you might be holding on to, clinging to, and just can't seem to let go of. Whatever it is that's working inside of you, holding you back from becoming that person which God in Jesus Christ created and intended for you to become. If you want to experience that miracle for yourself, it's yours. It's yours for the asking. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you and when you do know this that the power of the Holy Spirit given to you already in the waters of baptism working within you even now is eager to grant you your request so what have you to do with me Jesus of Nazareth you ask his answer Everything, everything, amen.